This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. Ten years in the NFL for him. I was a reporter for five, now host a daily talk show that you can check out on the Team 980 each and every day. All right, Logan. Uh, by the way, how many playoff games did you play in in your career? Just one. Just one. Have I already told you? Uh, yeah, 2012. Did I ever tell you this story? This is a kind of interesting story. I know we're, this is immediately off topic, but... It's all right. Um, no, I mean, the playoffs... It's the off season now. What is the topic? <laughs> so... Um, I think, I, I think I've said this story before, but I think it's really, really cool. So, like, when I was a rookie, Mike Shanahan came in and had everybody in there, all 90 guys plus 25 coaches, and then there was, like, 10 or 15 staff, trainers, strength coaches, like, you know, administrative people are in there, the GMs in there. And he says, hey, you know, how many guys have, you know, had been part of a winning season? And, you know, everyone, you know, half the room puts their hand up. He says, okay, how many guys have been to a playoff game? You know, of that half, people put their hand down. And he goes, okay, um, how many have won a playoff game? And then it's even less. How many have won a divisional game? Less. And then it's like, how many have been to a Super Bowl? And I swear there's, you know, hundreds of years of coaching experience in this room. And there's like four dudes with their hands up. And he says, all right, how many people have won a Super Bowl? And it's like, he puts his hand, everyone put, he has his hand up the whole time, obviously, because he won a Super Bowl. And then it's like him and Fletch with their hand up at the very end. And I like, and that, it always like, because you're like, oh man, I played 10 years. I should have been in a playoff game. But it just shows you like how hard it is to, to yeah. get that there like there were coaches who'd been coaching for 30 years who'd never been in a playoff game and that is just like mind-boggling to me how hard it is and how fans are so you know like playoffs are bust but it's hard it's hard to win games like that it's hard to get there so um just little tangent there but i love that story and i know i've said it before but well it's it's actually it is on topic because it's a great setup to remind people how freaking good the Chiefs are. They've now won two of the last four Super Bowls. Uh, They've played in three of the last four. And they win again behind an all-time second-half performance. And, you know, we can can talk about the the holding call, which James Bradbury himself said was a correct call. Um, and, and it probably was, it was enhanced and cer- certainly what the referee saw was enhanced by one of the worst fields we've ever seen, if not mm. the worst field that we've ever seen. Cause, uh, the receiver, uh, kind of loses his, his footing a little bit, but at the end of the day, they didn't, they didn't cost the Eagles the game. What cost the Eagles the game is the chiefs are great mm-hmm. and they showed it in the second half. And 
lo and behold, Logan, it's it's relevant to Washington and, and a commander's podcast because the guy who orchestrated it uh, from the sideline was Eric Bieniemy, who yeah. they are hoping to interview for their head or sorry their offensive coordinator position this week. What did you see in that second half in terms of adjustments that that Chiefs made? And look, you know they have Mahomes and Kelsey and great receivers and Andy Reid obviously is one of the great offensive minds in the history of the league. Um, but Andy was quick to, to credit EB. Um, and, and certainly it is a, a conglomerate effort. So what, what were the changes that BNME and that staff made to turn things around and make them basically unstoppable in the second half? Yeah. I don't know if there was any like, I, I just liked the general game plan. I mean, everyone's talking about the Philadelphia defensive line, how they're going to come in and wreck the game. And, you, you, you see them kind of the Kansas City Chiefs approach with a conservative air about them that, you know, they run the football a little bit more short intermediate passes. They're very reluctant to put the push the ball down the field. When they do push the ball down the field, it's off of play action. They get to that screen game, which we thought, which you could tell Philly was ready for. But I just love the chess match. And the other thing I loved is like on the two touchdowns, the one to Kadarius Tony, the one to Sky Moore, you could tell they had an understanding of some of the philosophy and defensive limitations of that philosophy in the red zone specifically within the 10-yard line like he he understands that or whoever is calling that read the enemy who's ever designing that that you know when we short motion this receiver we've had this high tendency to be running across the formation let's run a little snag return they they botched the pass off twice in a row kind of on subsequent series and i just think like that is um that, that's awesome. That's awesome game planning. That's awesome coaching. And it's something it's interesting. The other thing that's really interesting about it is you see kind of in high definition what Scott Turner's offense was supposed to look like because they ran concepts like this. They ran plays like this. But you also see kind of the little nuanced, detailed coaching, like the positions of the receivers, the tempo, the energy with which they run stuff. Um, and I think that offense is sick, but also like I think it's when you look at that offense you say, man, that offensive line is a top five offensive line. They've got enough skill position players, and they've probably got the best quarterback in the NFL. So um, as much as you want to say game plan's a big feature of it, and it is, it, it absolutely is, like they've got the horses to make that thing go. Yeah, it's a good game plan that's elevated by supreme talent, but it's also elevated by another element of coaching, and that is teaching. They are yeah. so fine and precise in their executions. And frankly, both of these teams are. I, I mean, what, what can you say about the Eagles, man? Like someone had to lose that game because it's the Super Bowl and they can't end it in a tie. And 30, 38, 35, like the Eagles played an incredible game all around. Both teams hit. I mean, both defenses, it's not like they played poorly, even though they gave up a ton of points. Like these teams were fast. They were physical. They hit. They, they made solid tackles. Like, just you have great players that are well coached, and that's hard to defend when you, you have that level of precise execution. And you have two coaches in Steichen and Bienemy, and obviously with help from Sirianni and Reed and the rest of their excellent staffs that really put defenses in a bind. And like you can fly to the ball, but you're flying to an open guy because yeah. you got two guys you got to decide, and there's no right answer. Because if you pick player A, they're going to throw it to player B. You pick player B, the quarterbacks are good enough to see that and throw to player A. Like they just they just do a good job with that stuff. And I think you can see, especially in the red zone, 
Um, Reed said after the game, those two touchdowns on the short motions were two different plays, but yeah. same route um, and same concept, right? Like not concept in terms of like pass concept, but same concept in terms of we Attacking have this tendency. Defense, yeah. yeah, we're we know that they're gonna try to do this one thing, play it a certain way, and we can manipulate that. Um, but it's also like here, here's the thing that I really appreciated about this Logan and what makes a guy like the enemy, you know, assuming that he plays a big part in this, which certainly he does. He's the offensive Seems coordinator. So mm-hmm. um, you know, it makes him so appealing in, in Washington, the Kadarius Tony version of that play, the first one that they run, mm-hmm. there aren't 10 guys in the league who can make that cut like that. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, everyone can make it, but with the clean, like in out agility, the pace at which it happens, the crispness of that cut at the speed that he runs, there aren't 10 guys in league. Like, that's a Tyreek Hill. That's a Kadarius Tony. Like, that's a maybe a Curtis Samuel. Like, that is yeah. a really, really high-level athletic maneuver. Mm-hmm. And to leverage <clears throat> that skill set in that spot shows an understanding of how to use your guys at precise moments to do maximum damage. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, that skill set was so lacking in Washington last year where it's like how – like why are we why are we doing that thing with that guy why can't you just try to get the ball to certain players in certain situations more often and you know oh it's not part of the offense we'll make it a part of the offense it it, you got to be able other teams do it you got to be able to figure out how to get it into your offense and I think that that skill set of maximizing the players talents on the field and by the way that includes the most talented quarterback to ever play mm-hmm. uh is is an incredibly appealing thing to have as your offensive coordinator and thus why i think most commanders fans are probably licking their chops this morning assuming that uh we get news and and who knows we're recording this monday morning by the time this comes out there might be an interview scheduled with eric Bieniemy. yeah i mean i think there's definitely gonna be an interview scheduled but uh, my question that i've been kicking around is like does do you leave KC, you know, if you're him, like, and I understand like it's, it's, there are advantages to leaving, right? You get kind of out of under, underneath uh, Andy Reid's shadow and all of this speculation that he's really the driving force behind everything. Um, But I also think you see, you know, we were talking about this before, you see the value Andy Reid places on Eric Bieniemy by the way he talks about him after the game. You see, you know, during, you know, after that holding call, Mahomes is running to be enemy. He's not running to Andy Reid for the consultation about what the next couple plays are going to look like. So if you're him, do you say, man, I want to go build my own thing in Washington? Or are you kind of saying, man, I could be a part of the greatest dynasty ever in the history of the NFL? And I don't know. I think they're going to make it very, very tough for him to leave. I know one of the reasons that he's even considering interviewing here is because of the Andy Reid relationship with Ron, probably. But man, like... He has everything you want there. You have the best quarterback in the NFL. Like, uh, as much as you want to say he's a smart dude, he's going to be able to come here. One of the things that coaching at the high school level has shown me is at some point, you need players. You need guys to make plays for you. And, um, and do we have enough of an, uh, uh, you know, is there enough of a draw here? Obviously, from a skill position standpoint, receiver, running back, tight end, right? There's some very, very interesting pieces, but is Sam Howell a guy that draws you in? Um, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how this interview process goes for him. But, you know, I think after watching it, because you don't watch a lot of film at Kansas City, but watching the, you know, all 22 or watching the TV copy, you see how involved he is. He's got his own sheet. He's he's obviously calling plays or he's making recommendations. Um, 
I, I love the Patrick Mahomes thing like that. That's who he's talking to in between series. So um, it would be exciting to get him here for sure of, of the candidates that they've interviewed. Um, but I just don't know if this is um, this is an opportunity that's super appealing. Like, you know, when compared to Kansas City. Let me just well, say. the other comparison, though, Logan, is Baltimore. Um, because there's, yeah. there's two questions. Stay or go, right? It's like a flow chart. Stay or yeah. go. St- all right, here's here's the benefits of staying. Here's here's mm-hmm. going. I can be an OC. I can be a play caller. I want to be a head coach in the future. Um, it seems like I'm not going to get that opportunity as long as I'm under Andy's shadow. Can I go somewhere and build my own thing, have a little more autonomy, mm-hmm. uh, maybe get a pay bump because I'm a play caller, uh, whatever. It, they, and, and it does seem like Andy almost – like the praise is – like they would love to have him, obviously, but – I do feel like the praise is on some level like, hey, someone hire this guy. Yeah. yeah um, I so, so I think there's that. So the stay or go flow chart is, is one element of it. If he stays, then that's the end of the flow chart. He stays. If he goes, then it's where does he go? And the two places that are after him are here in Baltimore. Yeah. And if you're comparing situations, they're kind of polar opposites. You know, because DC, you have tons of skill position. Very little at, or very little proven at quarterback. That way, the, the Sam Howell hive doesn't get on me here. Uh, Sam could be great, but he hasn't. He's thrown yeah. 19 NFL passes. In Baltimore, the skill position uh, is is not want to say bare, but it's slim. Like Devin Duvernay and Mark Andrews are are not it's very really, specific. Not really getting you super excited. Um, and maybe Andrews is, but uh, respect to your tight end brethren, but yeah. There's not a lot there. The running back position is like solid, but not amazing. Dobbins is a very good back. Um, but you have Lamar Jackson. And so mm-hmm. as a guy who's like built, obviously, around of incredibly unique skill set in Mahomes, what could you do with Lamar Jackson? I, th- I think that's probably very appealing. Um, and it also comes under a non-offensive head coach. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Harbaugh is a special teams guy. Uh, or was a special teams guy in his previous life. Uh, so he doesn't necessarily have as big of an impact as Andy does, obviously. And that's something that Biennemi is said to have wanted, is to be under a defensive head coach or at least a non-offensive head coach. And so obviously he's got that in D.C., but the the skill position versus quarterback situation, uh, which are the probably the two most important things you consider with an offense. Well, then I'll, I'll ask you this too, though, because um, you know that that Baltimore O-line pretty well. Like, would you rather have kind of the blank slate to build that you have here uh, mm-hmm. with lots of money and a guarantee that that's a place that they're going to invest? Or would you rather have what they've got in Baltimore? And, and you can obviously uh, let us know what they have in Baltimore. Yeah, I mean, I think Baltimore is a really interesting situation. Obviously, they've got Ronnie Stanley, who's one of the best left tackles in football when healthy, kind of neg- negotiating that ankle injury the past three seasons. But, you know, this year when he did play, played very well. Powers is a free agent, the left guard. Um, obviously, they drafted uh, uh, Linderbaum in the first round at center. Um, and then, you know, Morgan Moses is their right tackle, and he played really, really well this year. So that group is very, very talented. Um I don't know. They're definitely not top five, but maybe a top 10 group kind of. And uh, when compared to Washington, you say um, Washington's got a little ways to go. I will say that group is older, right? So you kind of say to yourself, like, you know, how long can they keep the band together there? They do have some young, you know, they da- they drafted the kid from Minnesota, Daniel Falele, who will probably be the heir apparent at right tackle at some point. 
so they got some pieces that get you excited. They'll probably they, they draft an alignment every year. They're going to draft another alignment this year. That's a priority for them. They have a really good defense. And so for me, in terms of rosters and where you're at, like they're they're a receiver away, you know. And I, I think that even even when you look at the enemy and what he's done with Andy Reid and what Andy Reid did with like Alex Smith, for example, where they were like a 13 personnel. 21, 22 personnel team. They didn't really rely on the receivers that much. Um, and they were able to make that offense cook in a really dramatic way. Obviously, they, you know, Alex Smith is more of a, of a facilitator than Patrick Mahomes. But I do think that that's something that he has experience with and he's done. So you kind of say to yourself, like, which, you know, they have to, the thing, this is, I want to bring this up because I wanted to bring this up for a couple, couple of weeks now is, as much as we want to say there's good offensive line talent in this draft and you could easily get, you know, two, three starters in the draft because that's the kind of offensive line pool they have this year, especially in the first three rounds, offensive linemen take like a year or two to develop. So are you going to be willing to kind of ride that out? I think you do have <clears throat> you do have better job security in Baltimore comparing the two jobs, but offensive line's got to develop. That takes a little bit of time receivers tend to hit the ground running really, really nicely. So I think that that's another thing that I would say the job security is better. You have a quarterback, which is like a huge thing, right? And then, you know, you're, you're relying on a piece to develop that traditionally has developed very quickly. So um, if I'm an offensive corner, I'm probably taking the Baltimore job, but I do think it's important to note that they haven't resigned Lamar Jackson yet. So I'm going to wait till that happens if, if that's if that's what's on the table. Right. I, I mean, I do think, too, that um, if you're Bietemi, are you thinking about upper mobility as well? And this is something I've said about this job the whole time. There, you can look at the one year for Rivera in a couple of different ways. But one of them is definitively if a new owner comes in and likes you better than him, they could just bump you up. Like if you go seven and nine, but the offense has a good year and shows promise – and the defense has an off year, you know, Rivera makes some bad coaching decisions and time management or whatever that cost you games and the owners like, and or a new executive vice president of football operations who's brought in over Rivera's head uh, is like, hey, that, that head coach is a problem, but this B enemy guy, he's great. You have to wonder if that's potentially appealing too. Um, and I don't. I I know that that sounds off and untoward, and it's uncomfortable. But like, realistically, I think it's a possibility. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just I just would say, is there a precedent for that? Like, I mean, you know, anytime this happens, they tend to just hire outside. Everyone gets fired. They tend to hire outside. So that would be kind of my thought. I mean, on that. sometimes sometimes uh, head coaches get fired, and you know the interim guy winds up getting the job. Obviously it didn't happen the last couple of years with some guys that maybe should have and and mm -hmm. Steve Wilkes and uh, Rich Basaccia, but a new ownership group is, you know, kind of a different wild card mm -hmm. uh, in this situation where it's like, and B enemy is a known name, right? Like B enemy, mm -hmm. like would he be handed the job? No, but would I expect him to be in the mix potentially. Um, and certainly I would expect him I mean, I guess Del Rio could would be named, you know, but who knows? Maybe, maybe if, if Ron would even get let go, because let let me just not beat around it. Like this is exactly what happened in um in Carolina with Ron. Like Ron yeah. mid year, his first year under the new owner, 
or our second year, uh, sorry, it was the second year, but it could happen mid-year, gets let go. And someone's got to step up in the interim. And while JDR would seem, as a former head coach, like someone that, that could certainly do that, maybe that's the chance for Biennemi to, to get up in front of the room and show what he's got, and that's a bit of an audition. So I don't know that Eric would be thinking about that on the front end, but I, I think it should be mentioned in the realm of possibility. You know, so this is what I would say. I think that's a really interesting approach. But if I'm looking to be a head coach at some point, I don't want to go to a place where – I don't want to go to a place to be an interim head coach. And the reason I don't want to do that is because Ron's culture has been established. It's not my culture. It's not mm. my leadership style. It's Ron's leadership style or whoever the head coach is, you know, Ron in this example. So if I'm Bienemy, I'm saying I'm going to go to Baltimore for a year. We're going to get that offense cooking. And then the second this job opens up, if it does open up, I get to interview as a fresh candidate. So I can kind of lay my film down with a team that has a, that is, I think is closer than Washington, right? Obviously they were a playoff team or a borderline playoff team. I forget what it was. Yeah, this they year. made it. And then, um, so I, I get a better roster. They have a better offensive line, they have a better quarterback, better defense. I can make that thing turn around. Every, everyone in Baltimore is going to be singing my praises because we're going to throw the ball more than five times a game. I'm going to come in here and interview for this position. I'm going to crush it. And then it's my deal as opposed to dealing with all of the kind of baggage of being in, an interim head coach. Like I'm just going to skip that whole process. That's if I was the coach. Now I'm sure there's a world where the enemy or any, a number of offensive coordinators are like, Oh, this is a path for me to kind of fast track this. I don't know if I would see it that way, uh, but that's just my perspective. 